Hello there, SE Land. This is Twig, Anthony Twig Wheeler, talking to you here on Twig's SE Reflections podcast series, episode number 57. I'm going to talk about the beginning of sessions, the opening of sessions today, and I'm going to do it off of a, a quote from one of my favorite people who does consultations with me. She she said to me, maybe some months back, she said, you know, one of the things I hate the most, I hate the start of sessions. The start of sessions is what she said. I hate the start of sessions, the beginning of sessions. And, you know, for me, Twig here, I have to say, me too. Well, actually, not anymore. It's not such a big deal for me anymore. And there was a time, many, many years, that I noted many, many, many years that I noted that I hated the start of sessions. And I know at least one other person who does too, this um, person who I do consultations with every once in a while. And and one of the reasons I really like her is because she can be really honest and very informed and practical practitioner, very informed. And she can be very, very honest. So here's two people myself and at least one other that I know that just feels really, you know, inside challenged by the beginning of sessions. Maybe you do too. Maybe, maybe at times you wonder, how am I supposed to do this? How do I start this? How does this, how does this work? Or how do I get things going in the right direction? Or what do I say first? Even just the first couple moments, you know, um, it can be scary you know, we're putting ourselves on the spot, particularly when we're beginning. Maybe it feels a little bit like we're on stage or have to perform, or we're supposed to know exactly the right thing to say right from the very beginning. Well, that that's something. So it could be kind of like scary or mm, butterfly, nervousness kind of thing. It's also, it can just be, it can feel kind of stupid some beginnings of some sessions and some ways that we do them and sometimes when we know we need to do them in a certain kind of way as compared to how they might go otherwise we sometimes uh some people i know this is true i felt this way at times it just feels really stupid or rote kind of pedantic the way that some of us end up starting our sessions or are taught to trained to or think that we've been trained to you know, one of the best examples to talk about that is that there are times, there are situations or people, sessions in the future that are going to happen where we see the same kind of pattern happen over and over with a client's behavior. Maybe the beginning of the session immediately launches into something that causes 45 minutes of crying, as an example. That happens a completely patterned beginning as if this client anticipates that this is what's going to happen in our office. And because of that, because of that repetitive, probably unproductive and unhelpful kind of thing that comes out of those earliest moments, some sessions, sometimes we put special emphasis on making sure that we control the very beginning of the session rather than just letting people you know, say or do whatever they might want or whatever they might come to if we were to just leave things completely open at the beginning of a session. So sometimes it can feel kind of like controlling or stupid or rollish or kind of 
technique-ish, some beginnings, yeah? Um, so that's one one hard thing. Another Another hard thing is that maybe there's this doubt that we have that we're not going to be able to hook the person's attention somehow, that we won't say an interesting enough thing or a valid enough thing or be able to see the the complex that's being expressed early enough that we won't be able to hook a person's attention and therefore we might feel that the beginning of the session makes or breaks everything that's going to happen here for the next 55 minutes. And if we miss that first window of understanding the the exact nature of the complex we're working in and such, that maybe we'll, we'll feel like we're lost the rest of the session and just chasing after our client and, and wherever their attention might go. That could be uh, a concern, not being able to hook their attention appropriately. Or even just wondering if we have the same contract, you know, we, we come in and we're hoping to quote, do somatic experiencing, and we're going to invite them to feel or pay attention or track what happens next, whatever it is that we might be bringing their attention toward in our unique kind of way. And our clients, they might actually have a completely alternative perspective of what they're doing in our office, telling the story and getting advice, asking for your opinion doing all kinds of things that maybe aren't exactly the same contract, not the, exactly the same, like we're in this room doing this together kind of thing. And maybe if that contract isn't established or the rhythm of, of that we're doing the same thing together isn't established, maybe the beginning of each session can often feel like a, a conflict of interest of two people with alternative ideas about what's supposed to happen here, which I have to say doesn't help SE sessions to move along quite so easily as if everybody's on the same page. Well, there is this other thing, of course, st start of the session could be scary if you're worried that the person might just launch into the story and you don't know how to keep up with them or how to contain that or to slow that down, right? Especially if the story, as it often is, is headlong into harm. Yeah, and then, of course, one of the things that I think I probably worried about the longest when it came to the beginning of the sessions was maybe maybe there was a complaint coming. Maybe the start of this session was going to name some complaint left over from the last session. Like maybe I had done something wrong in the past and now we're going to meet and oh, I had a headache for three days after the last session, Twig. And maybe my concern of the accuracy of my work or the predictability of my work or the longevity of my work, maybe that had me worried for many years about whether or not the next session at the beginning, I was maybe on edge a little bit wondering, is there going to be a complaint coming? Like, did we do something wrong? Did we whoops it? As Kathy Kane might have mentioned when we kind of do too much. Yeah. You know, so there's, I don't know, maybe there's more, you know, Nick, Name your favorite reason to be nervous or uncomfortable or not like the beginning of sessions. Maybe you don't have any problem with it. Maybe you're just totally excited to try th new things out. Some of us, we feel it. You know, the session is about to start. We meet our person in the off the sitting room, the waiting room, the meeting room, however you do that. You greet them at the door. You bring them in. There's like a few minutes where it's not exactly certain exactly what's going to happen, right? It's kind of like you never know before it starts how it's going to go. If they're going to bring you a complaint or 
bring you nothing, say, oh, it's just the same if they're not going to know how to start either, if they don't have anything to offer you. If you are going to, you know, you never know if you're going to bring out your, your classic lines or if you have the same contract. It's kind of uncertain, except, of course, if you have a completely patterned start. Some people do. And in fact, that's one way to get through this thing. If you have a timidity or a difficulty or a challenge state with the start of sessions, sometimes a completely patterned beginning, which you would train or teach to your new clients from the beginning, helps to establish the rhythm of what you're going to do together. And that might actually take the edge off of you and your client and the the question of is what we're doing here going to be effective and meaningful because you kind of maybe have a, a thing at the beginning, right? Like a famous practitioner comes to mind, the cranial sacral side of things, Hugh Milne. He's kind of famous or has been famous before for having a very patterned beginning where he does a little meditation and does some maybe some sounding. You lay on the table, everybody gets settled, and that's before the the engagement around why you're there and that kind of thing. I know SE practitioners who do very similar kinds of things where they invite their client to come in and take a moment to settle or take a moment to look around or take a moment to feel your feet on the ground. Like there are different patterns out there and surely they put at least the practitioner at ease knowing that this is what I'm going to do and this is how I'm going to start. And if you've not explored some of those, maybe it's a good idea. If you have, maybe it's good to notice if, you know, that's been helpful. And also sometimes maybe to see that it might not be what you want to do every single time, which is a kind of parentheses. Because, of course, some of us are also trained to try to be as fresh and convivial as conversational and as organic as possible, which kind of opens up some of those, I might not say the right thing, or this is contrived fake social engagement, this isn't the real deal. Yeah, well, inside of the open, slightly open style, where there isn't exactly the let's do this, feel your back against the chair parameters to start a session, some of us do have kind of almost well, I guess they'd be practice lines, lines that we say over and over to start sessions that maybe aren't completely open questions, open in the sense of, oh, what what's happening today? What What's going to happen today? Or what's going on? Or how's it been going? Completely open. Those don't steer the attention in any one direction or another. Some of us have questions that try to help to contain or steer the, the next bit of dialogue in a particular direction. Like, um... Peter Levine, now I don't see him do sessions with people who he's done multiple sessions with. So that's that's a difference in here. But you often hear him do this line at the beginning of a session where he'll say something like, you know, if there was something that you wanted to be different at the end of this session, something in your life that you that you want something to be going in some other kind of direction with, what would that be? And so he's kind of just going straight for this strong desire that the person has. Um, Steve Hoskinson, he has a nice line that I have always appreciated where when he sits with somebody, he'll often say at the very beginning, particularly if he's seen the person before, he'll say, all right, so then uh, let me ask, 
have uh, how things been moving through since we sat together last. So there's a certain kind of diagnostic question that he's going to get answer to that. Also, it helps to ask that question to see how on topic a person will be. And if they answer that question, you can get some good information about how things are either moving through or not. And it kind of helps to keep the conversation in that more clinically relevant direction. My common repetitive line in here is something like, um, what's the best use of our time here together? I'm trying to kind of declare the value of this hour so that we're going to more or less get into the specifics of why we need this hour together and why you're not just with somebody else. Now, those pattern kind of things, you can come up with a thousand different starter things to just get the conversation going. And if you use them every single time, they fit. If you use them randomly, they fit. It is just a kind of a thing. If you're going to see somebody multiple times, if it's you do it a little bit and then you don't do it and then you do it a little bit and then you don't do it, it could become confusing about how you start and how you don't start a session or how you do something and don't start or don't do something. I'm trying to say that if you see somebody over time, you might either choose a more random style or a more consistent style or a consistent style that kind of brings in some randomness sometimes but returns to the consistent style style because you're trying to you know help your client become fluent that's how i think about this become fluent in what it is that you do in your office so if you have a way that you structure the beginning of your sessions you probably want to have that become the thing that your client anticipates at the beginning of your sessions and if it's a completely random open order to the beginning of your session you might stick with that but if you do a little bit of structure you might name it out as somehow different this time i have reasons for that i will pass by them in the awareness that i am not going to be what do i call that not going to be comprehensive here so what else can you do you like well, so you could have a pattern let's start this way you could have a pattern let me ask this kind of mm, openish question but it more or less directs us toward what we're going to be doing here and to be honest you could just bumble around bumbling around is probably how the vast majority of our sessions start really we're just kind of like trying to chat it up and trying to wonder what in here is going to become of interest that when the person says something we can say oh does that seem like it would be something interesting for us to look at together that's one way that we often grab a topic of interest something related to the stress response person says something about how they slept or how they felt better about something or how this or that was more challenging we we might grab oh that signal of a stress response kind of thing either on the oh that's beneficial or oh that sounds like something that needs some attention some contact with some relationship with some tracking with we might ask that kind of question oh you know as i as we're chatting about that i wonder would you would you be curious about talking about that a little bit more with me something like that a lot of those are found just by bumbling a lot of those are found just by 
walking around inside of a person's content and conversation and just kind of going back and forth between the two of you with this i'll i'll give you a little this what what can i say this is this is what i do this is really really what i do and i believe i believe that i pick this up as a kind of um wazo no sumu uh, steal the technique i believe i pick this up from watching Stephen Hoskinson. Maybe maybe this is certainly something that I've seen in other practitioners as well. It's certainly something that I have now cultivated intentionally because of an application of an ev- evolutionary psychology theory thing that I'm fond of. So let me explain what I do. What I do is I practice as much of a tit-for-tat relationship at the very beginning of my sessions as I possibly can. And the way I do that is that I make a first offer. I do something. I give a smile. I say hello. I clap my hands in excitement for the meeting. I make some kind of offer. It's not too big and too grandiose. It is more or less neutral to positive. And I witness, I watch, I attune, I pay attention to how my client who I'm about to meet with for the next 60 minutes or so, plus or minus, well, probably plus five or 10 minutes. We're going to, we're about to spend an hour together. And right at our very first meeting, I give over some kind of offer, a hello at the very minimum. And the hello is infused with some kind of social engagement signal, the tone of my voice or the presence of my face. I I engage in some kind of way, neutral to positive, not too big. And I watch for what my client does in response. That's, that's about it. I watch, well, I guess there's this next step. I then respond in kind, right? I watch for what, what they do with it. They meet me at that same level. They meet me with less. They meet me with more. They, they change it in some way. And then I, as part of my professional responsibility, I adjust my social engagement, my pace, my tone closer to where they are than when where I started or, to be honest, where I might be otherwise inside my personal self. Yeah, there might be a way that I'm having a lower day or I'm having a really excited day or I'm having some other kind of moment than what I now need to do in relationship to the client that I'm about to spend the next hour with and do my best to help them experience themselves that much more, you know, appropriately inside themselves. Now, it doesn't mean I'm going to become a, or a robot or a parrot or like kind of mirror or mimic them. It means that I'm going to move my attunement closer to them based on what I witness their feedback from my offering. And this is a this is just a kind of a tit for tat, this for that reciprocal reciprocity kind of process, right? Reciprocal reciprocity kind of process. It's this is right out of how we give gifts in the world, how how primates exact exactly primates, but primarily humans, how we how we do exchange. Now, nowadays, you and I have exchange kind of complicated with money and finances and everything, but and but yeah, okay, that those kind of new structures. 
old time exchange, exchange done in the ancestral environment, as they call it, back when our ancestors were working out what it means to be human, old time exchange works off of a, a pretty patterned kind of sequence where upon a first meeting, a first offering is made and you kind of give over of yourself with a certain anticipation, but without the conscious calculation that that will be returned at some time when you need it. And from that offering ensues a certain kind of back and forth relationship amongst primates where I give to you, you give back in kind, you give to me, I give back in kind. And as long as the two of us have that rhythm and flow between us, more or less we do this continuation of exchange. As soon as you break that pattern for some reason, maybe you get stingy and you don't give back, it's beholden on me for, for me to withhold as well and not for me to simply continue to give you my resources wherein you might become a taker and I might be losing out on the exchange because you're no longer reciprocating. So it's, it's part of my boundaries, it's part of my responsibility as a individual and as a primate member of my species, that if I'm giving to you and you're not giving back, it's part of my responsibility to kind of withhold my giving until you come back into reciprocity, in which case it's wiser for me to increase the engagement again and come back into exchange because we're kind of better off with one another than by ourselves. Well, you know, from an evolutionary psychology perspective, there's all kinds of emotions that go along with this. And whenever I'm passing by a by this information, I like to point them out, like the the sense of hurt and taken advantage of is is very obvious, you know, when you feel you've been transgressed upon, you've given and somebody hasn't given back to you. And then the feeling of being shunned, of of guilty, of not, you know, kind of being out of grace, that is a natural kind of feeling when somebody starts to come out of reciprocity with you because you have kind of transgressed. So there's this natural impulse to try to come back into reciprocity to get out of that feeling. And there's a natural emotion that comes along when somebody comes back into reciprocity that we feel forgiveness for them. And it's easy to say, oh, well, they weren't so bad. Before that, we were kind of talking trash about them, kind of hurting their reputation, which was one of the major reasons that they might want to come back into reciprocity. And as they come back into reciprocity, then we have this natural sense of forgiveness so that we can get back into the sense of exchange being valid. All of these emotions playing behind the scenes of helping humans in small groups maintain affiliate relationships, which are truly important for our social species. Well, you can use the exact same principle in communicating with your clients. You make an offer, they respond as they're going to, and you now start responding in kind. And with the commodity being kind of the quality of social engagement, the amount of engagement, the pace of engagement, the amount of ventral vagal signal, you can kind of respond in kind to the amount of feedback that you get from your clients. And that can kind of take away a little bit of the edge of the beginning of a session of not exactly knowing what it is the session's going to be about, not knowing what you're going to say at the beginning of the session, not knowing what the two of you are going to end up talking about in two or three minutes from now, and not even knowing what the best way to get that going is, 
if you can respond at the, I would think of as the critter level, the animal level, the psychobiological signal level, if you can relate at this kind of tit-for-tat reciprocity level of you make an offer, person has a lot of energy, a lot of enthusiasm for the meeting, you get to increase your energy and enthusiasm for the meeting, and the two of you have a, a more kind of simpatrical state for starting off into whatever unknown you're heading into. You'll have a lot more ability to steer their attention by having that joining from the beginning. Same would go if you're in a high mood and you give this offer and the client that you're meeting with in the hallways goes, well, hi, yeah, it's good to see you too. And, you know, a much slower walk into your office and you realize, oh, much better if I kind of pull in my enthusiasm and slow myself down to get a bit closer, maybe not mirroring, but certainly closer so that I can put them more at ease that much quicker. And with it, you'll get more of those spontaneous decisions about what the session's going to be about. Well, let me say, as I come to a close on all those, yep, start of the session, there's all kinds of things and make it hard and a few things we can do to make it easier. And someday it probably won't be that big a deal because we'll have, as I heard Stephen Hoskinson say recently, I really like this, make so many mistakes that eventually we, we don't worry about making any more because we've already done most of them. Eventually we'll, we'll have done that and can relax a bit. And when we, um, when we think about this kind of, I, I name it as a, like we're providing a professional service. We have to give a kind of a specialized conversation. Talk about that in my languaging classes. We're providing a specialized conversation with people that they, they don't get other places. That's why they come and, well, frankly, that's why they pay us the way they do. Now, to do that, we we kind of adjust ourselves some. We don't just maintain our same personality through the whole session or with all of our clients all the time in the same kind of way. When a client is on the side of the freeze, dorsal vagal, you know, slow down kind of thing of things, we also slow down and give them more space in our words so that they don't have to process things as quickly. And, and we're doing that in a way that maybe the rest of society wouldn't give the attention or even know how to do, right? So we're providing this specialized kind of thing. Well, in, in my, my workshop, Practicing Our Lines, where I do these comedy improv games, one of the games that I use that I just want to tell you about here to help make that adjustment between different clients that your feeling state, your emotional state, your physical state, your expressions even need to be able to change based on maybe the last client was more sympathetic and, and there was a lot more engagement of, you know, kind of some kind of dialogue, maybe higher intensity kind of conversation between the two of you. And then you have a short 5, 10, 15 minute, maybe 30 minute if you're lucky, turnaround between you and that last client maybe higher energy state and the next client lower energy state sometimes we're just letting one person leave and turning around and meeting the next person right away and we often have to do this quick shift particularly if you're going to do this tit for tat kind of I'm going to join based on what I get back at the initial offering 
and we have to maybe contain or redirect our energy or build up our energy very quickly. And so I play this game. I want you to know about this. Um, I borrowed it from comedy improv theater, and in that field they call it slow motion ninja riot. It's a slow motion ninja riot. And the way you play this game is you get a group of people. It's it's not so much fun with fewer than six. It's much better with 20. You get a group of people and you stand around in a circle and there are a couple simple rules to the game. It's a slow motion ninja riot. So everybody's going to have like ninja moves. You can have blocking and killing moves with your feet and with your arms and your forearms like blades or something like that. And it's a riot. Everybody's trying to kill everybody else, but it's all very slow motion. Yeah, it's a slow motion ninja riot. And so on the count of three, from a big wide circle, everybody having a little space between each other, we're going to one, two, three, jump into position, and we're going to start this slow motion ninja riot, where everybody is out to get you and you are out to get everybody else making only slow motion movements as you try to defend and kind of hack your way through to survival to where one lone survivor will be there at the end of the game. Now, there's lots of different reasons they play this in comedy and prof theater, and me too. The biggest one that I do it for in our this practicing our lines thing is this exact notion Sometimes you have to hold back the energy inside of you so as to meet the client at a completely different energy state than yourself. And you have to be able to do that very quickly when switching into new clients, into new sessions, into the next session. You have to be able to mobilize your energy very quickly based on that first offer. What's the, what's the kind of tone that this person's in? Oh, I have to mobilize myself more or I have to pulled myself back and kind of slow things down a little bit so that we can find the rhythm and pattern that is going to take place in this next hour together. And to do that, you often have to hold a certain amount of kind of violence inside of yourself because you want to be one way. And this requirement that you, you at least in the game, hold that violence in slow motion. Yeah. And have this awareness you're you're trying to engage the game at the same time as you're having to contain some of how you might want to go about things otherwise like run through the crowd and hack everybody up well that's a fun game i hope maybe if you get six or eight ten people around sometime you'll all play it together and think about how the beginning of your sessions well they can be challenging they can be unknown you can set up a pattern You can also have a pattern for how you're going to relate to new people. And in any case, there'll have to be some kind of containment and okayness with the, I don't know what's going to happen here yet. And that can have a big feeling of violence inside of you. And there's also just enough slow motion inside you to contain that so that you'll be able to get in there three, five, six minutes and see what it is that's going to hook everybody's attention to be so curious about for the next hour. Well, true enough, the beginning of sessions, they can be way challenging. I think we can do it. Yes, we can. This is Twig waving at you. 
hope you're all doing well. Bye-bye now. And a simple tracking twig moment here. I'm going to be in Seattle, Seattle, Washington, between October 23rd and October 26th, meeting with former clients and somatic experiencing practitioners working on their stuff. Look forward to meeting anybody who wants to come visit with me. You can find out information at liberationispossible.org backslash schedule. Okay, take care. Bye-bye.